Does a miracle require the laying on of hands or the application of anointing oil for a miracle to take place? Join us as Pastor Riggin continues his discussion on the purpose of miracles in the church. Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is your host and Bible teacher, Pastor Gregory Riggin. Today's podcast is the last episode in this series featuring an interview with Pastor Riggin as he discusses the miracle of physical healing. The topics range from a lady being raised from the dead, a girl who was healed of scoliosis, to the man who had his leg restored to its normal length. Pastor Riggin closes out the episode by answering several questions on miracles and teaching on the purpose of miracles in the church. Thank you for joining Pastor Riggin in the third and final episode of The Purpose of Miracles in the Church. And then here at the Truth Church, several years ago, we had a lady that God had saved. Her life was just a mess. She was on drugs. She was in terrible shape. In fact, I knocked on her door to invite her to church, and she slammed the door in my face. Didn't even want to hear what I had to say. But she never forgot about the fact that I was knocking on her door. And her kids started having some problems, and she decided, I'm going to go down to that church where that preacher invited me. And she brought them to church to try to get their lives straightened out. And she would get them to go to the altar, and she'd sit in the pew, you know. But anyhow, God saved her, and she fell so in love with Jesus. But one Sunday morning, I was leading the service, and someone motioned for me that I needed to get to the back as quickly as I could. We had a a registered nurse visiting the service that morning. She ran out when she saw what was going on. Sister Susie had had a heart attack and had fallen the floor. And when I got to her, her eyes were set in her head. She was not breathing. The nurse had gotten there before I did and was already trying to clear people away. You know, she was getting ready to start CPR. When I walked in and saw Sister Susie, now I knew, I had, like I said, I didn't see Brother Stovall be raised from the dead, but I saw him after the fact. And that was enough for me. And I walked into that room and I saw Susie Shaw laying on that bathroom floor. She had fallen, hit her head on one of the corners of the stall, had busted her head open. There was blood on the floor. She was not breathing. She was obviously gone. And when I walked in and saw her, I just said, Jesus. And the moment I spoke that name, her eyes focused and she looked up and she began to breathe again. Well, somebody in all of this had had called 911. And EMTs had come in just at the time that she had begun breathing again. And they came rushing in and they're moving everybody out of the way. Get out of the way. Give her air. Get out of the way. And and they're getting everybody out of there. And they get her loaded on the gurney and they go out. But all the while, this, this registered nurse is still sitting in the floor where she had been with Sister Susie. And this nurse is just staring at me. And when everything settled down and the EMTs were gone, This nurse is still just staring at me. And finally, she said, preacher, I'm a registered nurse. I deal with life and death every day. I know death when I see it. This woman was dead. And I just smiled. I said, well, she's not now. (laughs) And she wasn't. God had raised her from the dead. So I can reach back and pull from the things that I saw as a young man And then I've seen God do some of those very things in my own ministry, in the truth church. Before coming to the truth church, seeing God do some of these things, 
I was in a church preaching at a place, and this was a, it was a unique situation. I wasn't even supposed to be there that night. A friend of mine was an evangelist, and he was scheduled to preach, and he had family sickness come up, and he had to leave for one night of the revival, and he told the pastor, he gave him my name and said, call him and have him fill in for me. And so the pastor did. pastor didn't know me. I didn't really know the pastor, but he took the evangelist's recommendation had me come. Well, I, I was praying, and I felt like God spoke to me in prayer that day and said, I'm going to perform a miracle tonight. So I said, okay, well, that's, you know, that's always great. I'm, I'm excited about seeing it happen. Right. And so I went, and I'm telling you, Brother Goff, I tried to preach in that church. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it's because the people didn't know me. I don't know what was happening. They weren't moving. I did my best to preach. I preached with everything I had and could barely get an amen out of them. I mean, there was just no response going on in the people. And when I got through, I said, now, I'm just going to tell you what I feel like God told me. God said he's going to perform a miracle here tonight. And I said, if you need a miracle, I want you to come down for prayer. And nobody moved. And the pastor was sitting behind me. He said, I guess they didn't hear you. Tell them again. So I told them again. Nobody moved. You know, I think I made a third appeal, and finally one or two people came down around the front. I didn't see anything happen. I went home that night feeling like the biggest fool and the biggest failure. I thought, man, did I ever miss it? I, I don't know. But to get up and tell people God said he's going to perform a miracle, and, and I didn't see any miracles happen. Well, Monday, I saw this evangelist friend of mine, and he said, well, he said, I'm sure you've heard by now about what happened at the church where he preached Friday night. And I said, um, no, I haven't heard anything. And I was kind of scared to hear. And he said, oh, man, he said, let me tell you what happened. He said that next morning, he said, there was a young lady sitting on the pew and she didn't even come down for prayer. He said, she had scoliosis, curvature of the spine. So it was so bad. Her spine was a backwards S. So she could not move. She couldn't dress herself. She couldn't do anything. That morning when she woke up, she was getting ready to call for her mom to help her get her dressed and start her day. And she realized all of a sudden that she was able to move in ways she hadn't been able to move. And as she started checking out the movement of her body, she hollered for her mother. Her mother came in and looked and said her spine was completely straight. God had just straightened that spine exactly as though there had never been a problem. I didn't even lay hands on the girl. God just acted upon her faith. As she said in the pew, she didn't even make a move that night. I didn't even know she was praying for a miracle, but God wow. did what he said, and he healed that girl. I could go on and on the miracles that I've watched God do, but it's because that muscle of faith has been exercised in me. I saw so much of it as a young man. I've told the story many times to the church about uh, my pastor, Elder Davis, preaching in Colorado Springs, and he was a faith preacher. He preached faith all the time, and he was preaching faith one night, and there was a sinner that walked in. He had one leg that was several inches shorter than the other. He had a special leg brace built so that he could maintain some balance. He came down front, and Elder Davis prayed for him. The man reached down, pulled the brace off his leg, and the congregation watched as his leg grew to the length of the other one right before their eyes. They saw it happen. Now, I wasn't there to see it, 
But several years later, I was pastoring in Canyon City, Colorado, which is about 45, 50 miles from Colorado Springs. And one Sunday morning, there was a sinner in the altar and he was praying. I got down to pray with him. Well, as soon as I knelt down to pray, he lifted his head up and he said, I need to tell you my story. I said, okay. And he had this woman there with him. He said, she doesn't believe it. I'm going to tell you, he said, I was at a church in Colorado Springs several years ago. And he said, there was this preacher from Texas. And he said, he prayed for me. He said, I had one leg shorter than the other. And he prayed for me and God caused my leg to grow. And I said, I know that preacher. That preacher was my pastor. He said, really? (laughs) He said, my girlfriend does not believe that happened. I said, oh, it happened. I said, my pastor has the leg brace hanging in his office right now where, where a lot of men have deer mounts and, you know, all of their trophies hanging in their offices. My pastor would have crutches and leg braces and canes and, and those kinds of things in his office as the testimonies of what God had done. And that leg brace hung in my pastor's office. And he had told that story over and over. So I got to tell the man, that was my pastor. I've heard him tell the story. I got to tell his girlfriend, it really is true. I've heard it from the man that prayed for him. It's a true story. And so that was exciting to actually you know, get to meet that man years after it happened. I was going to ask the question, and you beat me to it. And with that example in mind, why does God honor the faith of someone that has not committed their life? Again, God responds to faith. And this is what's so important for us to realize. With the people of God, the devil puts things in our mind to convince us we're not worthy. Well, the sinner knows they're not worthy. But the preacher's up here saying God wants to do it. So the sinner says, well, I know I'm not worthy, but he said God wants to do it, so I'll just believe that. Right. But for the saint, we let the devil tell us, well, I'm not worthy. You know, I did this. I mistreated so-and-so, and I hadn't apologized for it. The devil brings all these things up to us as reasons why God would not perform a miracle for us. It's not so much we doubt God as it is we doubt ourselves. And because we doubt ourselves, that makes us doubt God. We know God can. We just don't believe he will for us. We believe it for someone else. We just don't believe it for us because we're not worthy. A sinner doesn't have that to overcome. A sinner knows they're not worthy. But if the preacher said God will do it, then they just accept that and they respond. I mean, the devil can sit on their shoulder and say, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. doesn't matter to them. They know that. But the saint of God struggles with that in their mind, that we have to reach some level of spirituality before God is ever going to respond to the things that we ask him to do. We don't walk around with a halo over our head. God is not going to do it. But here's the thing. God is looking to get glory. You know, one of the things that the scripture says is that he will not share his glory with another. And we need to understand God wants to get glory. How much glory does he get when we're going around suffering, whining, complaining, hurting, you know, down in the mouth, depressed, whatever, whatever it is that we're struggling with that we think we're not good enough for God to fix? How much glory is God getting out of that? He's not getting any. But if we would ever understand that what God wants to do, he just wants to get glory. He's not looking at it like, if I heal you, that means I am condoning everything you've ever done wrong. That's not the way God sees it. God sees it as, if I heal you, I want you to go tell everyone else what I've done, and then I get the glory out of this. 
and it will turn people to God. You opened up by making a statement that miracles and signs and wonders are not for the entertainment of the saints, and that's exactly right. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches and church groups that that's what it's become is entertainment. And because of that, they even fake miracles. You know, they pay people to come in in wheelchairs or whatever because it's all entertainment. It's all a show. And God's not into any of that, but God is in to getting glory in all this. Here's the thing is that when the apostles were threatened, Acts chapter 3, the great miracle takes place at the gate called Beautiful. The lame man walks. Peter and John are brought in. They're told, don't preach again in this name. Of course, they said, should we obey God or man? We're going to obey God. They keep preaching in his name. They, they are threatened. They're, they're going to be beaten. They're going to be in prison. They go in and pray. And the prayer that they pray is very interesting because they're asking for boldness. But in this request for boldness, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 23, being let go, they went to their own company, reported all the chief priests and elders said to them, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. There's no period here. This is all one sentence. Look at the way they're threatening us. And here's how we're asking you to respond to the threats against us. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. So they understood that the way that this is going to go forward. We need boldness, but we also need miracles. We need those signs and wonders. It is one of the things that's going to attract people to God, not to us. And that's the key. When we get to the place that it becomes our healing campaigns and our healing crusades, we've missed it. But when we get to the place that we're saying, God, do this so that others can know. You go all the way back to the Old Testament prophets, and you'll find where they're praying, God, do this so they may know that there's a God in Israel and that I'm your prophet. Let them know. Let them know. This is the way it works. Let them know who you are. Show them by your power. God responds to that kind of praying because God's going to get glory out of that. Not God, make me somebody great, but God, show them who you are. Reveal to them how powerful you are. And if you can heal their bodies, you can heal their hearts. If you can heal their bodies, you can heal their minds. You can heal their emotions. You can take care of other things. If we could see God working in the realm of the miraculous as a precursor, that's going to help convince others to exercise that muscle of faith. And I believe that's part of the reason. You know, the Bible says that God uses both the goodness of God and the severity of God to bring men to repentance. There are times that God performs these miracles for sinners in an effort to show them his goodness. 
so that they will turn to him. Now, they don't always do it. They didn't do it when he walked the earth. But that's one of the reasons he responds to their faith is to try to draw them to him. I would like to take us in one last point. In the story of Lazarus, we see in John chapter 11, where Jesus calls him out of his grave. And we go into John chapter 12, and there's three verses of scripture that I found interesting. It talks about how the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they came running for Lazarus. Yes. And it makes me wonder, can healing bring persecution to believers? Well, obviously it can, and and it did. Again, going back to those days that we call the Brush Arbor days, there was a lot of persecution back then, and they were seeing miracles, some of the most phenomenal miracles that really are mind-boggling to hear people talk about some of the things that God did for those early believers in the early 1900s. But it brought with it persecution. The reason that it brings persecution is the same reason it brought persecution to Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus from the dead was unlike the raising of any other dead person that Jesus had done so far. Jesus raised Jairus's daughter from the dead. Jesus stopped a funeral procession for a widow and raised her son. But in these cases, we're talking about someone that just died. The Jews didn't practice embalming for the most part. When somebody died, it was like immediate. We've got to take the body and we've got to bury it. And so for Jesus to stop this funeral procession and raise this boy, there would be scoffers who would say, well, he wasn't really dead. They would doubt that he really uh, had died. The same thing with Jairus's daughter. She had just died. She was still alive when Jairus came to get Jesus. Right. And so she had just died. And so there would be those who say, well, she wasn't really dead. And even the story that I've told with, with Sister Susie Shaw, as you tell the story, there would no doubt be people who say, oh, she wasn't really dead. No one tested. No one checked, you know. And, and so, yeah, so there was a nurse there who claims that she saw. But but they they can deny that. But with Lazarus. He's been dead four days. He's been sealed in a tomb four days. He's been tightly wrapped, his face tightly wrapped four days. He can't breathe. If he was just in a coma, by the time they wrapped his face and laid him in that grave for four days, he's dead. There's no question. And when Jesus called him forth, There's no way now to doubt that this was a miracle. And the reason that they persecuted Lazarus is because it was such an undeniable miracle. They knew it was going to turn the hearts of many people, which it did, toward Jesus. And this is the same reason we can expect persecution today, same reason that our forefathers got it in the early 1900s, because with each of these miracles, they can mock, they can make fun. But the problem was they knew these miracles were increasing our numbers, and that's what they hated the most. You know, I know we've got all kinds of people who listen to this podcast So I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I want to make that very clear. But there are those churches who preach that miracles have ceased. 
that miracles don't happen today. And so when there is a notable miracle, such as the woman that came to our church, her eyes completely swollen shut. She had to be led in and set down. She comes down for prayer and instantly God heals her eyes. We've got a picture of the moment when it took place and what a picture it is. You can see the shock on her face as she's surprised at what just happened. There's no denying that was a miracle that night. But those kinds of things, because they are undeniable, it causes people to turn away from those churches that are telling them it doesn't happen anymore. And it brings them to churches where it does happen. And so persecution comes because it's hurting the doctrines of others whose doctrines are not based upon truth. And and they don't want people turning away from those traditional teachings to embrace this. And that's why they persecute us. That's why it happens. That's why they did it here. It wasn't that they hated Lazarus. It's that they hated the fact that he was living proof that Jesus had raised someone from the dead and nobody could deny that it happened. As long as he was alive, he was able to testify to the fact he'd been raised from the dead. If they could put him to death, they could silence the one miracle that nobody could question. You remember in in, in John chapter nine, the blind man, they're trying to come up with everything. There are those right. who said, well, this guy just looks like him. That's not really right. Him. They're, they're always trying to excuse it. They're trying to find a way around they even brought his parents in. Well, was he really blind when he was born? Come on, you know. And so they're, they're trying to find some natural way to write off this miracle. But with Lazarus, there's no way to write it off. So all they could do is to write him out. If they yeah. could just kill him, silence him, get him out of the way, people will forget about him. And then they'll forget about Jesus. They couldn't find a good way to do that. And so they just put all of their focus on Jesus. And, of course, Judas was more than willing to accommodate what they were looking for at that very moment because they had someone turn Jesus over to them. Lazarus was no longer an issue. We don't read where they ever gave Lazarus another problem once Jesus was dead because to them Jesus was out of the way. So will it bring persecution to us? I can promise you we start seeing notable miracles again Yes, there will be those that will persecute us. There will be those that will mock us, those who will try to claim that we're doing what the televangelists do, you know, that we're faking all of this, that it's not real, that we're paying people or whatever. They'll they'll find some way, even Jesus' resurrection. The Bible says that the high priest paid the Romans to go around and tell that they'd all fallen asleep and the disciples came and stole his body by night. They wanted some natural explanation to this so that they didn't have to face up to the reality of the miracle. And that's one of the reasons why miracles are so powerful. That's why Paul, when he went into somewhere like Corinth, and the Corinthians so proud of their intellect, and Paul, there probably was not a more intelligent man than Paul. But he said, when I was with you, my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom. I came to just demonstrate to you the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what I did. And so no doubt he was there. He was performing miracles. Things were happening because that defied their logic and it went around their intellect. And suddenly they're going to have to accept that there's something supernatural going on here. 
And that then turns their attention to God, because if this is supernatural, there must be someone higher that's got the power to do these things. Thank you, Pastor Riggin, for sharing your wisdom today. Miracles are an essential part of the church, and they are a sign of obedience to the Word of God. It says, These signs shall follow them that believe. The Apostle John penned a powerful verse of Scripture that describes those that chose to continue to walk in unbelief. In John chapter 12, verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Pastor, thank you for instilling a hunger for a true move of God at the Truth Church. We believe in miracles. And thank you for this opportunity to interview you on Face the Truth. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olaythetruth.com. That's prayer at olaythetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olaythetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.